Hi there, this is Alvin and welcome to the Kickstarter Commerce Podcast where we share search marketing and domain investing strategies to help grow your business. In today's episode, our guest is none other than Keith DeBoer, a part-time domain investor, contributing publisher of dngeek.com and the founder and podcaster of one of the fastest growing domain investing podcasts around, brandableinsider.com. Today, Keith and I discuss his linguistic inclined journey into domain investing, how trial and error attempts led to him settling firmly into domain investing. We also touch on a few of Keith's latest domain sales. And last but not least, Keith shares what inspires him to produce content for the domain industry and how doing so has refined his domain investing prowess. So with that, Keith, welcome and thank you for making time to join us today. Hey, Alvin, thanks for having me on. Man, like this guy has the voice of radio. <laughs> like every time I hear your podcast, I'm just going, man, I, I, I've got to figure out a way. There must be some sort of water he drinks <laughs> to get that perfect radio sound. Oh, man. Well, it's great to have you, man. Yeah. Thanks for having me on. It's really a pleasure to be here. Um, I'm a big fan of your show. And so I'm delighted, you know, thanks again. Well, thanks. Yeah, certainly. And we got a little something going on. So uh, obviously at the time of this recording, it is September 22nd. And so apparently on August 31st, I made a uh, public statement by which um, I made it to at veto.tv. So made this public declaration that, hey, man, September 21st is going to be your your day. And so I did that. And lo and behold, the morning of September 21st, which was yesterday at the time of this recording, came along and I sent a tweet out, or rather I scheduled that tweet on August 31st. It went out September 21st. Two hours later, Vito touched base with me and guess what? He sold a $2,500.org domain. So congrats to Vito, uh, who is now considering me, which is kind of weird, his domain psychic. Um, and if you think that's weird, then things keep continuing on with our previous guest, Barr uh, Fronick, and he, he basically alluded to, uh, even today on September the 22nd, that he had a sale, a uh, five-figure sale since the time that we recorded and released his podcast. So now, Keith is up. So yeah. <laughs> we hope that this continues. Keith is like, get, bring it on. Give bring me it everything on. you have. <laughs> <laughs> awesome awesome and now everybody is trying to get on the show in hopes of yeah uh con sales consistency so uh to kick things off keith man let's uh briefly share at a high level with our listeners a bit about yourself who you are your personal and professional background yeah uh well i'm a part-time domain investor as you mentioned in the intro and uh i got started about six years ago in domaining started out kind of slow uh, I first heard about the domain industry when I stumbled upon a YouTube video by Morgan Linton. He had a, a power domaining course. It's still actually on YouTube. It's a little dated. Um, <laughs> as you can imagine, he made it quite, you know, years before I even saw it six years ago. So uh, some of the information is a little dated, but that's how I sort of got into domaining was through uh, originally viewing his YouTube video. Now, was it kind of one of those, hey, you struck gold the first time around, or did you have uh, some, <laughs> some, some learning bumps and bruises along the way? Oh, I definitely had a lot of learning bumps and bruises, and they continue to this day. <laughs> As I try new things and try to optimize my portfolio and try to, you know, up my game like any uh, competitive, you know, person would, 
or anyone that wants to, you know, that aspires to have more and more profits and more and more success. Uh, in the case of my domaining uh, career, though, I started out as Morgan recommends on his YouTube video, he recommends uh, web development. And so I got some domain names. There were some cannabis names uh, back in 2014. That's when the cannabis shops were just starting to open in Colorado. And so I got some cannabis directory oriented domain names and I built out a couple of websites, directory sites for cannabis shops. And I wrote some blogs and I got a quite a good uh, list of subscribers going but I was unable to monetize the sites, you know, to create cash flow, even though I use some um, affiliate links and things like that. And, um, and, and I, I'm not a web developer. I had to learn WordPress from scratch and it's just not my thing. And so uh, eventually I sold the websites on Flippa, but I only sold them for maybe $500 or something. And that just nowhere near compensated me for the, you know, tens and tens and dozens and dozens of hours of work and time that I put into those projects. So I abandoned that angle. <laughs> <laughs> so, so then let me ask you this about that. So then why do you think that those, those sites weren't as successful in terms of profitability? Like, were you too early or what do you think, you know, contributed to that? No, I think there was interest. Um, people wanted to sign up and get the latest news and find out when the latest places in Colorado and then subsequently other states were opening their stores and stuff. Um, but I think it was just my lack of knowledge about how to develop a website and monetize it. That's a really complicated, you know, uh, thing that unless you have a background in that area, I wouldn't recommend personally going the web development route unless it's something you've already studied and had experience with. Gotcha. And so then in terms so why cannabis out of all things? Uh, I just thought it was a new emerging industry and that it had a lot of potential. And um, I've sold several cannabis domain names for very good profits uh, over the years. I only own, a, you know, a few. I've, I've only sold a few. I've only owned a few. I've never made it a major part of my portfolio. It's a burgeoning industry. And I think that there's money to be made there if you have the right domain names. Now, do you often find yourself as a domain investor leaning more towards trending or, you know, domains that trend? I do. I find that brandable domain sales in, in the range where I live, where I make my living, where I work and grind is in that, you know, 2000 to $10,000 range. Even I would say really even the two to $5,000 range more than anything. I don't have that many sales between five and 10, uh, but I have sales every month, you know, just about every week in the two to five range. And in that area, it is very trendy. Those sort of business owners, some of them are startup companies and they may have some substantial capital. A lot of them are just mom and pop uh, sort of businesses where someone is just in their den, their office, in their garage, their basement, and they've got an idea for a mail order company or an app or some service or something, and they're going to start out locally, and then they hope to expand and raise money later. And those kind of buyers are not that sophisticated. They're aware. They know the tech industry in general. Uh, and so they're aware of the trends within their industry. And so that's sort of what they rely on. They don't go mm. deep into, you know, they don't go to a branding agency and spend $20,000 trying to come up with the perfect brand for their product or service. They just sort of have a flavor, an idea of what's trending in their niche industry, in the Silicon Valley, you know, realm. And they just flow with that. And in that realm, there, there are these trends. And some of them have a lifespan of, 
you know, two, three, four, five, six years. And others are, you know, very niche and more temporal, and they may only last six or 12 months. So it's a bit of a dance. I mean, there are a lot of domain names that are totally solid that you can own for 10 years and you know they're solid and they're going to turn profits. There's others that are a little more trendy and I have some of both. Gotcha. Now, in terms of percentage, what would you say your percentage between the two? Is it like a 70-30 split to where, you know, 70% or more of the longer term domains and 30% are shorter term or what? What yeah, is, it's how does more that work like out? 70, 30 or 80, 20. I tend not to have too many of the real trendy ones. Uh, like for like one sort of famous example, or I don't know if famous is the right word, but one that I've <laughs> written and spoken about a lot uh, in my blog and on my podcast is these double letter domains. And this came up uh, a couple of years ago where people would take a word, you know, like it might be uh, like working or something or let's see, uh, security, let's say, for example, or mm -hmm. I'll give you a real life example. Let's take the Bitcoin, the word Bitcoin. Right. And you can double up one of the letters in Bitcoin because it's such a powerful, desirable keyword that you could double up one of the letters and people would still take it with that sort of that hack or that variation in it. So I hand reg the domain name Bitcoin with two I's in the word coin. I sold that, uh, I'd have to look it up to get the exact price, I think around $3,500. Wow. Yeah, and that was during the sort of that peak rush of the Bitcoin era. Mm -hmm. And so Bitcoin is one trend, for, first of all, and that's one that's been going on for several years, and I think it's gonna go on for several years more. But that doubling up a letter in a word, that trend was really hot for a year or two, and now it's kind of tapering off. So that's an example of sort of a mini niche trend that I've experienced and that I've made quite a bit of money off of. Right. Now, in terms of those sort of trends, how do you know when to back off? You know, because you don't want to get left holding the bag on those types of things to where when it's hot, you're there, you want to be in it, but you don't want to be the person that winds up with, you know, let's say a, uh, even a couple, 10, maybe 100 domains when things go south. So how do you kind of hedge against those types of things when, you know, uh, investing around, I guess, domains at trend? Yeah, that's a great question. And it's kind of like the million dollar question for domainers because really <laughs> all, all the domains we own have been owned before. Even if you hand register a domain name, if you go and look up the hosting history of that domain, uh, you'll see that it's been owned before. It's just been dropped once or twice or three times. Um, so, and then if you buy a, a domain from another domainer or maybe in the expired auctions or something, that, you know, domain also has a history of being owned before, or maybe it's been shopped around before. It's probably, if you, again, if you look up the hosting history, you'll see it's been listed on Undeveloped before and on Dan, on Afternick, and it's been on Cedo. And so in many ways, domaining is really kind of like a game of musical chairs. <laughs> we're, we're all passing our chairs around, hoping that the one we get, the, one we, the chair we give away and the chair we get, you know, replace it is going to be the lucky chair and that we're giving away the losing chair, you know, and that when the music stops, we're going to be in the right chair somehow. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> so that's sort of an abstract answer to your question, but um, <clears throat> more specifically, I try to read the trade journals, you know, like uh, techcrunch.com. I try to look at that, you know, every day or a few times a week and see what, you know, domains are getting funding lately and what kind of domain names they're using for their new, you know, businesses. And also I watch the sales very closely. Anytime people report sales from Brand Bucket or Squad Help or something, 
Uh, I look on name pros in different places and I watch, you know, what's selling and try to identify what the trends are and when they're ending as well. So I can get out of those names that I think are no longer trending. And so then in, in terms of just now you're a words guy. So you have a linguistics background. So, you know, to a certain extent, I'm like, man, you, you, you jumped out ahead of most domainers just knowing just the fact that I stated that. And so, like, how does that, you know, how does that actually help you as a domain investor? And I guess, how did you even discover that you were a words guy? Well, yeah, I don't have any formal training uh, in words or language or literature or anything, but I've always liked words. I've always been a writer. I've always liked writing. And so naturally, when I got into domaining, I really liked this, uh, you know, brandables, especially the two keyword brandable domain names. That's just what I'm drawn to because I, I just love the way words have different meanings and how they have different meanings in different contexts and how they can take on different meanings when they're combined with other, you know, words to, they, they, that are synergistic and they create some new meaning or gain some new energy or some new imagery by virtue of being combined with other words. So uh, it just kind of has fascinated me and I've just dived deep into that. And, you know, people can tell that from my podcasts and my writings and things. Certainly. Cause I, Hey, you had me fooled. I, I remember in our pre-call, you know, I was like, man, it seems like he's been around for at least uh, at minimum a decade, if not two. And you were like, no, I've only been around <laughs> half a decade. I'm like, wait, what? It seems to be that, you know, you have a just a plethora of knowledge of wisdom just around domain investing in and of itself. And so, uh, you know, that it, it kind of shock. It's shocking to me to just really know that, no, you you're only been around what since dating back to what? 2014. 2014. So, I mean, six years. So it's like, man, it, it, I would have said I would have lost all, all my domains, bank account, everything. Uh, had they asked and said, hey, man, would you put everything on that Keith has been in the, the domain industry more than a decade? Yep. And <laughs> there it is. I would have lost, you know, everything. And so now what's interesting to me, though, about you is that so you're a part time domain investor. Right. So what do you do by trade? Uh, well, I work for a nonprofit, a national nonprofit, and I do brand protection, copyright and trademark protection. And I just look out for, in general, for their internet presence and make sure that they're well protected and guarded on the web. Gotcha. Now, how does that help you in terms of being a domain investor or has it? Uh, well, I handle a lot of their domains um, and, uh, you know, the buying and selling, not for profit, but, you know, the maintenance and, you know, acquisition of key defensive domains, you know, that they may need. Uh, or maybe domains that they don't need anymore, that there's no use in ha owning them anymore for defensive purposes. Gotcha. Um, and also, it's good to know about, uh, you know, UDRP and trademarks, and uh, those things are certainly relevant to the domain industry, and they're also relevant in my job. So uh, there's definitely some overlap there, and they sort of feed into each other, and it, it's, it's a nice combination. Now, long term, do you, do you hope, I guess, to take domaining more uh into a full-time gig or, or kind of what, what are your thoughts there? Yeah. Yeah. We'll see, uh, you know, what, what's going on. We know that the economy and the job scene is, you know, in a state of flux and uh, that goes for me personally as well. And um, so we'll see, it may just naturally occur and, and uh, uh, that'll be just fine because I, I, I have quite, I'm quite successful with domains and I really enjoy it. And so I'm just waiting to see, uh, you know, what the natural flow, you know, an outcome is for me over the next year or two. 
Right. Now, very much like myself, so you and I were both domain investors, but we also find it ourselves on a, I guess, on the bus in an interesting seat of somewhat being the news, if you will. Um, so for you, now, how did you get into, I guess, just writing for the industry? Um, you know, how, where'd you get your start? Uh, I think my first blog was on name pros. You know, I joined name pros like a lot of new domainers and I got into reading the blogs there and into discussions and things. And I felt like I had something to say. And more specifically, I'm just the kind of person, I'm a little bit like what I think uh, Michael Seiger is as well. And other people in the industry too, like yourself, that when they learn something, they just want to share it with other people. It's kind of just a natural inclination and some individuals have it more than others. And I think, um, you know, Michael Seiger is one of those people and I'm one of those people too. So as I learned things, discovered things and made mistakes, I wanted to share what I learned with others. And so I posted a couple of blogs on name pros and then it, you know, it's kind of grew from there. Ah, ah, and then how did you get over to dngeek.com? Well, dngeek, uh, you know, is really the only brandable you know, dedicated, the only blog dedicated solely to brandables. And so I was attracted to it right away for that reason. I thought there's some great information there. Doran Vermont is the founder and the main contributor there. And um, I was writing things in the comments and, and, and I was putting some <laughs> lists in and some insights. And Doran was so impressed with my comments. He said, hey, you should, you know, come and be a guest writer here at the, you know, at the website with us. And so I said, okay, sure, let's, let's do it. And how long ago was, was that? That was in 2016, I think. So, so you enter in 2014, and then basically in a matter of two years, let's say, you were already writing or uh, contributing to the industry at a uh, macro level. Yeah, I think it was actually in maybe even in 2015 that I started with Name Pros and maybe late 15 with Tiang Geek. I'd have to check to be sure, but it was pretty, pretty quick, yeah. I probably was giving advice before I even should have been. <laughs> I needed more experience. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that is awesome. <laughs> and so then you, you pretty much have been honing the skill then in terms of writing, in terms of guiding folks, in terms of, of the brandable marketplace. Like now, you know, what do you make of, you know, the, the brandable space in and of itself? Cause I know that there are many different providers that are there, uh, what is it? Um, Brand Bucket, uh, Squad Help, who else? Um, well, there's Afternick and, uh, and Dan and places like that. Correct. Correct. Now, in terms of, of all you know of, of these Brand places, Paul. like, how, like how, do, how do you differentiate all the different platforms in terms of brandable? Of If you're speaking to a new investor and they're looking and they're going, man, it just seems like I'm overloaded. Maybe I'll just throw all of my domains out there or maybe, hey, I'll go over to this one specific domain in this case. Like, what would be your advice there to, to, to differentiate as well as to gain clarity about the uh, domain brandable, brandable domain marketplaces space? Well, this is a topic of, uh, in the past, I've seen a lot of threads on name pros. I mean, it's very controversial uh, with a lot of domainers about whether they should put their domains on a place like Squad Help or Brand, Buck, Brand Bucket or Brand Paw, and, or whether they should put them on Dan or Afternick or have FD landing pages and save themselves some money on commissions. Right. And the commissions vary a lot. You know, like FD doesn't take a commission, they just 
charge a monthly subscription. And uh, then it ranges from there to places like Brand Bucket and Squad help to charge 30% commission. And then in between, you've got Afternick at 20% and Cito's somewhere around the same way, place and so on like that. So there's a lot of uh, choices. And um, you can certainly, and, and Brand Bucket and Squad Help are the two most expensive ones. And that's where I, I have the majority of my listings. And that's a little bit controversial uh, with some domainers. <laughs> I mean, not where I put my domains, but where they put theirs. He's like Duke's up. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there's sometimes a lot of, yeah, tension about, on that topic on name pros. But I just find that for brandable domain names in this $2,000 to $5,000 range, that are not going to get type in traffic, they're better off, they sell better, and for higher prices on places like Squad Help and Brand Bucket, and particularly in, ca in the case of higher prices on Brand Bucket. So I find it's worth paying the extra 10% on Brand Bucket specifically for me because they get a higher price and they get more sales than if I listed them on Afternick or on Dan. And Squad Help also has a good sale through weight. Their prices tend to be a little bit lower than Brand Bucket, um, but they have a really good sell-through rate there, and they have a good platform. And so I utilize both those platforms. I have uh, substantial portfolios on both. I tend to favor Brand Bucket a little bit myself because I have a history there, and I just like their platform. Anyway, that's how I think of it and how I manage my portfolio. But I'm, uh, I know that everyone has to go with what they think is best for them and their situation, their domains, and, and I respect everyone's uh, choice. No, that makes sense. So let me ask you this then. Is there a stepping stone approach in, in regards to, so I'm thinking of folks that are listening who are brand new to the industry and, you know, the, the tendency often is to just run out and start purchasing, whether it's getting into domain, expired domain auctions, whether it's getting into hand registrations or even just close out auctions. I mean, I, I, I rarely see new domain investors do like third party purchases um, that typically you're a few years in um, and you got some, you know, you got your sea legs under you by then because you, you can understand things. But with those who are starting out, is there a stepping stone approach to be able to judge or, or qualify the, the quality of a domain? So for instance, if, if I'm starting out, is it better to say, hey, like at least the case in your first year, the domains that you choose, uh, depending on the quality, uh, you may want to try to list those maybe at Dan first. And then if you see a little success there, then it's likely there could be a correlation that, hey, those may do well over at Brand Bucket. Is there any sort of stepping stone process or strategy, uh, you know, that would guide early investors? Well, the first thing I would say is you have to get educated uh, because otherwise you end up wasting a lot of money on hand-registered domains or even buying the wrong domains in the closeouts or the auctions, mm. <clears throat> overpaying or just buying uh, domains that are not as valuable as they you know appear to be because prices and just because you paid a lot for a domain doesn't mean it's a great domain uh, there's usually some correlation wait 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 say that again <laughs> just because you paid a lot for a domain name doesn't necessarily mean that it's wait a very valuable domain <laughs> my headphones aren't acting correct say it one more time <laughs> just because you pay a lot for a domain doesn't mean it has intrinsic value Ah, that's what I thought you said. That's Oftentimes it does. There is some correlation, uh, but it's not a guarantee of value. 
Gotcha. And especially in terms of degree of value, certainly if you buy a four-letter domain for $500, uh, that's going to be more valuable than an $8 or $10 hand-registered domain just by default. Mm. Uh, but at the same time, there are many variations in qualities in a, in a four-letter domain, and you might have the wrong letters or something or have it in the wrong uh, extension. And you might have you might overpay, and you might think you have something very valuable when in fact you might not even be able to recapture the investment that you made, especially after you have to put it back on a marketplace and pay a twenty twenty percent commission to sell it on Namejet or something like that. So uh, it's a bit of a it's a bit of a dance and a balance. And the the main thing that you need is you need to be educated. You need to educate yourself so that you know. Uh, basic valuations for what domains are worth owning and buying and what domains have a likely chance of being sold to an end user in a reasonable amount of time. Hmm. So then in terms of when you started out, now, did you start out with hand registration, closeout, or expired domain auctions? I did a little bit of everything, but primarily hand registration. Gotcha. And And then in terms of today, is that where you would say you spend most of your your time or, or percentage of your purchases still doing hand range or not really? Uh, not really. In the last year or so, I've pretty much stopped hand registering domains because it's become really time consuming. Um, there are still some diamonds in the rough here and there, but it takes hours you know, to find them. I would have to look through thousands and thousands of domains just to find uh, you know, a few that I thought were worth registering. One good thing is that uh, Brand Bucket that's developed in recent year or two is that Brand Bucket, I think Squad Help also has an option where you can propose domains to them. You can submit domains for review. You have to pay a dollar, but they can be reviewed and they can be domains that you don't yet own. You're thinking of hand registering and that can save you some money. When I first started, I registered hundreds, even thousands of domain names, hand registered them. (laughs) <laughs> and the general acceptance rate is only, well, then it was only about 8 or 10%. Now, mm. I think Brandenburg ex- accepts about 20%. So uh, I had to spend a lot of money, which, you know, I was pretty, I'm pretty resourceful guy. So I was able to liquidate them, those domains, the ones that were rejected, for some of or all of what I paid for them in hand registration on name pros through various means. That's a, you know that's hard to do, and uh, you can lose a lot of money hand registering domains that are not valued by Squad Help or Brand Bucket and can't get listed any place, and then you can put them on Afternic and they don't get any traffic and no sales, and you know then it comes renewal time and you're wondering, well, should I renew them? And maybe you even renew them and dig a deeper hole for yourself. You know it, it can be <laughs> difficult. <laughs> when digging a hole, put the shovel down turn auto renew off and let it stay off and don't go manually uh renew it interesting so then now when you i guess when you were hand registering were you paying full price because there's been a a lot of talk around you know so for some of the newer domain investors obviously the thing they hear is oh hand reg they'll come in and if they don't have something like the domain discount club that will uh, you know, reduce the price. Um, they're fa- paying full price sometimes 
for 20, 30, 40 uh, names at a time without some sort of discount club. But then I guess like for you, were you using like promo codes, discount club or anything to reduce that price or were you paying full price? A little bit of both. It, coupons were very popular in those days. Maybe they still are, but I don't Man, I know. There's, there's I a coupon so thread in wish. Name Pros. Yeah. So wish they'd come back. Oh. <laughs> uh, I think, yeah, go, go ahead. He kind of closed the door on those. But at that time, yeah, if you were kind of crafty and, uh, you know, people were sharing coupon codes and opening multiple accounts and it was all kinds of different ways that, um, and I, yeah, I hand registered a lot of domains for one, two, three you know, dollars at that time. Some I paid full price for, but a lot of them were, were less than that. There's also um, something else that I, I used to use for a while, and that is these um, discount organizations like uh, Ebates and uh, these rebate websites. Hmm. And I don't know if these are still in effect either. They, that window may have also closed, but for a few years, uh, GoDaddy would give rebates on domain names that were purchased, registered, and sometimes even renewed, sometimes even bought in the closeouts or auctions. Uh, you would get a rebate on those purchases. So people can check that out. I'm not up to date on that uh, industry, but uh, for some time there was options to get rebates on GoDaddy services and products, including domains. So you can check that out. And there's a lot of rebate sites out there. There's five or 10 of them probably. So check them all out and see what's available. Awesome. So in terms of your portfolio now, are you more of a .com guy? I mean, do you get into any of the other extensions or are you strictly or mostly .com? Yeah, I'm, I would say 90% of my portfolio is .com, maybe even 95%. So no .vcs, .ggs, .ccs, <laughs> .xyzs. <laughs> I, I'd like to, you know, I have FOMO for those. Uh, a lot of my buddies, you know, are grabbing really great, you know, strong keywords in those alternative extensions or repurposed extensions, those country code extensions. And uh, yeah, some of them are making money too. Um, but it's a lot of work, you know, because usually when they have those sales, those $1 specials and stuff on those alternative extensions, uh, people will register hundreds of them in really strong keywords only. And then they'll only renew about five or 10% of them. Most, you know, 90, 95% of them, they will let uh, expire at the end of the year. But during that first year, they'll price them maybe at 500 or $1,000. And during that first year, they'll sell five or 10 or 20 or 30 of them, uh, depending on how many they've purchased originally. And so it's, it's, it's a game, you know, that you can play, but it's very time consuming. And I already have a very large portfolio of dot-coms and I just don't have the time to sort of, uh, you know, practice that, that, that uh, sort of art of moving the walnut shells around <laughs> exactly. for a year, you know. <laughs> exactly. Well, and, and that's the thing that I, I begin to think through a little bit and say, man, it must take, it takes a lot of skill to be able to look through whether it's, you know, combinations of words or it's, you know, words in singular, you know, form or sing, single words uh, or one, you know, one word dot coms or whatever, uh, whatever the extension may be. But it seems to be, I'm like, man, that is a skill set in and of itself. Because if I'm starting today, I'm going, man, I guess, uh, do I use Google's, you know, most search 
keywords or what am I using to figure out, oh yeah, I'm going to take these 25 keywords, throw it against some um, extensions and whatever comes back. Um, then use a coupon code, register those, make sure I turn auto renew off on everything, set everything to $250 to $700 and hope for the best. Likely is the case. I mean, I'll probably, let's say I spend $300 doing that, but sell two, it's like, well, you broken even and you gotten over just a little bit more. Um, I'm like, man, but that seems, I don't know if it's worth the squeeze <laughs> to say yeah. the least. It's, it seems like uh, you're putting in a lot of work, but I can also see that if you refine that skill over time, like anything else, it's a muscle that the more you use it, you get more efficient um, in terms of being able to do it and do it pretty quick. Yeah. Yeah. If someone wants to specialize in that and really study it and read all the name pros threads on it and listen to all the podcasts, like I had a podcast, you know, a couple weeks ago with Dorn Vermont and he's had great success this past year or two with .co and .io. Um, <clears throat> but it's not uh, something you should do haphazardly or you, for sure you're going to lose money. And the other thing with registering these massive amounts of uh, alternative extensions is that, um, you know, you have to be really sure that you don't, that they don't get renewed. You know, you may, even if you mm. just forget a, a few or something. Uh, so there, there's a risk there because when you get a domain like that, it's not an asset, it's a liability until you sell it. And all those ones that you don't sell, those are liabilities that are going to roll over and cost you money on your credit card if you forget to, uh, <laughs> you know, cancel them or if you've got them on auto renew or whatever. So uh, unless you're willing to drill down and focus on that and really do it right and really study the guys and, and women in the industry that have done it successfully before, uh, it can be, you know, a real uh, a fool's game, really. You know, you can end up losing your shirt in it. <laughs> Lose your shirt, your house, <laughs> and nearly your life. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. And so, you know, what's, what's most interesting uh, just about that then, now, have you ever had a, a situation to where a domain uh, you didn't register, you saw was sold? So it's almost kind of like, man, that's the one that got away from me. It's... You know, it's like, man, I didn't renew it. I looked up, it got sold for something else uh, or for, you know, four figures. Uh, I can't think of a situation like that, but I do have one little sort of a similar story that uh, there used to be a thread on name pros for unregistered domains. People would suggest, <laughs> you know, domains that could be hand registered if people wanted. And I would go there sometimes and and throw out a bunch of domains. They were probably domains that Brand Bucket had rejected or something, or I can't remember where I was getting my list from, or just, or domains that I was on the fence about that I would find through my bulk searches and stuff. And I'd be like, well, the keyword's kind of nice, but the synergy's not so good. It's not worth the registration. So I'd throw it on this list on name pros and people really liked my list and they would register a lot of the domains I would put on there for better or for worse. And one time I put on there the domain Silent Dove. And as soon as I put it on there, immediately it was registered. And I got all these compliments about, oh my God, Silent Dove, what a great domain name. And I had this bit of regret for giving it away that I was like, yeah, I should have uh, registered that myself. Because it's the name of a book, I think, <laughs> and a movie. And, and it, it's got quite a bit of Google search, I think. And so uh, recently I happened to see, uh, I happened to just Google it just out of... Uh, uh, curiosity to see where it was if it turned into a website or whatever and I found out that it had been dropped 
And so I went ahead and hand registered it, and now I own it. But it hasn't sold yet, so. <laughs> the, the one that got away, and I got it back. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I got it back. We'll see if it ever sells. Oh, man, that is awesome. So then, you know, kind of, so, so in terms of your portfolio now, what type of, you mentioned that you have a pretty good size portfolio. So, like, are we talking 100, a couple hundred, thousand? Yeah, I have about 3,500 names. Oh my goodness. So like, how do you manage that and keep up with that in such a way that, you know, you're, cause you're profitable, uh, I'm assuming. Yes. Okay. So then how do you manage all of that? Yeah. Profitability is not a problem. I've been able to scale efficiently every year. I liquidate between five or even sometimes 10% of my portfolio. So, and I don't put any of my domains on automatic renew unless they're something valuable that I paid, you know, several hundred dollars for, then those are on auto renew. But other domains that I paid, you know, less than $25 for, let's say, those are not on auto renew. And every month I go through all the names, the hundreds and hundreds of domains that are expiring that month. And any ones that I don't feel totally confident about, I take them out and I find a way to liquidate them and get some of my investment back. And sometimes in some cases all of it back. And uh, you're, you're breaking the hearts of so many <laughs> listeners because they're like, wait, what? He, he doesn't auto-renew? He <laughs> manually goes through his names and he lets them go? Yeah, yeah, that's what I do. I, I try to keep it tight because domain, uh, renewals are just a huge drag on your profits. They're like an anchor on the boat. It's like trying to steam ahead with your boat with the anchor in the water. Yeah, you can move forward, but, you know, it's just dragging you down and dragging you down. So I'm really vigilant about any domain that I'm just not sure about is a good asset to continue to own. I just let it go. Oh, I hear so many cries out there (laughs) (laughs) amongst the listeners and domain investors. In that way, I at least I hope, you know, my goal is that I'm continually refining and upgrading my portfolio because I'm always adding to my portfolio. I buy, you know, a couple names every day. Wait, what? Every day? <laughs> Every day, yeah. Yeah, I probably and, buy 100 domains a month at least. Get out of here. Yeah. Wow, that is, that is amazing. So how are you, so how, see, like you, you're messing with me a little bit here because I'm going, how is it that you're managing your portfolio, you're buying domains, you're producing content, and we haven't even gotten to the podcast just yet. And so right. like, how are you doing all this? And by the way, this is a part-time gig for you. Right. Well, uh, you know, I'm a single guy. I don't have a wife and children or any, anything. So my time is completely my own. And uh, so, and I just, I really love domaining. So all my you know, evenings and weekends are spent working on domaining. But I must also admit that now that my portfolio is really getting this big, it's really taking up a lot of time. And I'm, I'm, you know, <laughs> I'm thinking, you know, what to do. It's one of the things that wanted, yeah, I'm thinking about what to do because it is time consuming. <laughs> but is. as my, as my portfolio gets better, it's, it does require less time because, you know, when you first start out that first year or two, you, everyone buys a lot of junk, you know? Right. And so it took me a few years to get rid of all that stuff and to sort of clean everything out. And now, you know, month by month, uh, I'm not letting as much go as I, you know, was before. And so it's getting a little bit easier, but it's still, uh, and I, you know, I have lots of friends, not lots of friends, but quite a few 
peers in the industry who have 5,000, 7,000, 10,000 domains. And I just can't comprehend. I don't know how they do it. I guess they have developed uh, some really good systems or something. I don't know. Or they just don't care. <laughs> right. Well, and, and, you know, I look at it and I go, you, you have to have sales to be able to get into that level. Um, that is not a just I'm going to buy, 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 buy. Like, no, you have to have you have to start having consistent sales um, in there. Now, one question for you is, like, is there any way around not buying garbage initially as a first time domain investor or, you know, a domain investor that's been in it one to two years? Or is it something you just have to go through? Uh, yeah, I think there's a learning curve. You, to develop an eye for a good domain is an ongoing process, you know, for me or for any domainer. And we all make mistakes. I don't care if it's, you know, Shane Coulter or Drew Rosen or whatever. Everyone, you know, now and then buys a domain, overpays or buys a domain that they thought was going to work out really well. It was a really good buy. And then later on, they realize, <laughs> you know what, that wasn't such a good decision. I bought interview.com. <laughs> oh, shoot. That's not an I. That's an L. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> hey, you heard about that one, huh? I did. Oh, my goodness. So, uh, yeah, so all learning. But I think you can cut your learning curve way, 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 way down by taking uh, DN Academy, Michael Seiger's course, DN Academy. I just think it's a tremendous uh, way to learn quickly and get ahead of your learning curve and get profitable you know really fast now had you taken it or, or no when i started out it wasn't available there was no dn academy so gotcha yeah you were on uh what names pros and domain sherpa maybe yeah exactly <laughs> that was my program yeah <laughs> so yeah so the 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 paid course is dn academy the free course is you got to go dumpster dive name pros as well as go all the way back to the beginning of domain sherpa and listen to episode after episode after episode uh, until you become current date. And hopefully by then you will have retained a lot of, uh, I mean, it, it, it's, it's crazy the amount of information uh, and you're right that I think about that wasn't available, you know, some six years ago, some five years ago, that's available now uh, that I'm, that I think through and go, man, if this had been available, you know, years ago when I, when I first started, uh, it, you know, it would have definitely cut my learning curve, like you said, down, if not in half, it would have been a smaller, you know, smaller runway of going down and getting all the bruises and bumps and cuts and t-shirts and <laughs> hats and keychains. It's yeah. like, no, no, no. Uh, so that's, so that's interesting. So then in terms of kind of changing speed here, so I, obviously you're producing content uh, for DNG can have been some for some time, Several but years, yeah. what I guess led you to really kind of step out on the waters of podcasting? Like what really got you going on it? Well, that's, it's a funny story because I did the week, I did a weekly blog at DNG for, you know, a few years, I think three or four years. I'm not sure the exact amount of time, but it was some some number of years, and <laughs> and it, and I got uh, I started feeling overwhelmed with all with my size of my portfolio and things going on in my personal life and different things, so I stopped. I took a hiatus for several months, and then I came back and I was sort of writing once a month or just whenever I felt like it, and then on one of the early domain socials with uh, Mike Seiger, 
he said to me, Keith, you know, when are you going to start doing your, you know, blog again regularly? He said, your blog was so great and everyone enjoyed it and it's really good. And why aren't you blogging, you know, every week? And so I was like, eh, you know, yeah, maybe I should start blogging again, but I don't have the time. What can I do? And I thought, oh, <laughs> I'll start a podcast because it, instead of taking two hours to write a blog, I'll just take 10 minutes to record a podcast. <laughs> well, that was a big mistake. How <laughs> so? Because as you well know, being a podcaster yourself, it doesn't take 10 minutes. It might take 10 minutes to record it. But you've got research to do and preparation, and you've got to get a, a host and a place to put the podcast up, and you've got to promote it. And, you know, it's so it takes longer than writing a blog post. <laughs> <laughs> so a domain investor, podcaster. So, like, you know, for, for a lot of people, it, it really is the tech to do something like this. How did you overcome that barrier? Or, you know, do you find it, it appears that you don't find tech that scary. So you're able just to kind of hop in and, and get started. Uh, so, you know, like, how did you overcome, I guess, those early hurdles to getting into podcasting? Well, I live uh, in the Midwest in a small town and we have a community radio station. It's actually defunct now. But for years, we had a community radio station, and I had a, a show on there, a music show. So I was an amateur disc jockey. So I had some familiarity with, you know, the soundboard and the microphone, and also that, you know, I developed a little bit of a DJ voice, which I also use in my podcast. Uh, uh. And so, but there was still a lot of new stuff. I had to find out, you know, where do you host your podcast, and how do you promote it, and how do you interview someone, and what's that tech, and so on. But I had a pretty good head start on it. So it wasn't that big of a jump for me. And I, I enjoy it. You know, even though it does take longer than the blog, uh, it's fun and I enjoy it. So that's what keeps me going. And then how did, like, what inspires your content? Uh, the same thing as always as before. I just enjoy sharing what I know and what I've learned. And also, the, I'll tell you a little secret, too, um, that, and you probably know this because you're also, a, you know, a teacher and an educator in this industry, that when you teach, or record a podcast or write a blog, you have to do preparation and you have to look at what you believe and what you're going to say. And you have to road test it and make sure it's right before <laughs> you publish it or print it or say it. And so I would learn stuff in doing that preparation, for that research for my blog or doing the preparation for my podcast. Uh, I would learn things. And so it has that dual benefit. I enjoy it. I get to share with others. It's rewarding. But I also, it's also a learning process for me too. It solidifies things that I think I know because I have to compactify them and organize them into a presentation. That is awesome. And, and how has that, has that helped you in terms of refining your own domain strategy? Yeah, yeah, it has. It's, it's consolidated my knowledge and my learnings, you know, with that process of having to uh, pull them together and get them ready for, for a blog or a podcast. Now, have you had any instances to where either writing content or even with the podcast has help you to be able to do really what's like a quick flip type sell to where because you were, you know, preparing, you ran across a name, you picked up the name, you were able to flip the name in a matter of a week or two weeks or something like that. Has, has that ever happened? Uh, as a result of preparing for the podcast or a blog? Mm -hmm. No, I wouldn't say no, not that kind of a result. <laughs> I, have, <laughs> I, have, I have turned uh, names over quickly just by, uh, by pure accident, but generally I don't look to flip names. Ah, so you're so you're more of a long-term holder then. Or, yeah, I'm or... sort of mid, in, I'm sort of a midterm, I would say, holder. 
I have some domains that are liquid, you know, that I've paid, you know, some number of hundreds of thousands of dollars for, and I'm holding on to those for, you know, for dear life. Then, uh, but most of my domains, uh, my time frame is one or two years. I buy them with the intention and the hope of selling them in the next one or two or three years. And then what happens, let's say year two or three rolls around, I guess you cut bait or? Uh, not automatically. And in fact, interestingly, uh, in the last 18 months, I, have, I would say that at least half of my sales have been for domains that I acquired in 2016. So it's expanding my uh, huh. attitude a little bit. And I'm, I'm, I'm becoming a little more tolerant for some of these older domain names. But, you know, as long as they still look good. Right, because I think I'm, I, I probably settle somewhere between that seven to eight year holding period. Um, I mean, now there, I, I've had quick flips that have happened. You know, I had one uh, that I actually mentioned on Domain Sherpa, which was minoritybusinessloans.com. Uh, total cost in was $140, $150, somewhere in there. And then uh, I held it basically almost two years. Uh, I got it in 2018, sold it. Um, just a few months ago uh, in 2020 and basically that it was it went for 9350 nice. so 9350 dollars and so it's like it, you have those moments but as for me I don't know about you those aren't the consistent ones um typically you know I've had to hold probably in the area of maybe at least 5 years on some of these domains Okay. Um, at least for my portfolio. Yeah. Um, and obviously things are a bit different because uh, we have different eyes. Um, right. And so, so yeah, so, so most of yours then are probably going within that one to two year period that you're flipping. Uh, a lot of them. Yeah. Um, you know, again, my domain names are a little more temporal. They're a little more trendy. So I have to look at them. Like, for example, you know, cloud was a huge, hugely popular keyword, mm -hmm. you know, around 2014, 15, maybe even 16. You could just about put any keyword in front of cloud and it had a really good chance of selling. But now keywords ending in cloud, they're still, if you have a really good one, it's still definitely valuable and they do sell, but they're not jumping off the shelves like they were before. So if you have weak keyword cloud, you know, .com, then, or if I have that, then that's a name that I'm going to let go. And so I'm still going through my portfolio, as I mentioned, every year, every month, looking for those weaker domain names that have just, you know, sort of lost momentum and, and liquidating them. Whereas I think some, some of the things that you're buying, like a name like, like you mentioned, this uh, business name, that's sort of a, not a trendy name, that's sort of a, just a solid uh, industry-based, you know, economy-based name that's just going to be, a, be needed for a long, long time. It's just a matter of waiting for the right buyer to walk up. Right, right. Now, do you do any outbound? Uh, I've tried outbound <laughs> every <laughs> once in a while, including very recently, but I'm just not very good at it. I've never had a success outbound. I'm not, uh, I don't think I have the tenacity for it. I think for outbound, you have to really be tenacious. You have to send out a lot of emails you have to get to the right person you have to follow up many times you have to be willing to get on the phone to close a deal and i don't have a lot of those abilities <laughs> i was about to say i was like well wait you could you certainly can write so that should be easy writing but then again it's kind of like okay well you can have the perfect email but if you don't know who to send it to 
well, uh, <laughs> that does you no good. Yeah, that can be really time consuming. That's, you know, unless you really have the system down. I think uh, for me, outbound, you have to just be an outbounder. I don't think you can do what I do and then also be outbounding at the same time. It's just too uh, divergent and, and too, too time consuming, you know, both those things. Right. Uh, maybe somebody so, younger than me can do it or something, but I can't. <laughs> so then, so then how, how, how do you suggest or, you know, suggest to, to a domain investor? So obviously there are many paths to take. You can go the investing path. And even within that categorization, there are so many other categories. But think of investing, developing, brokering, um, you know, the list goes on. And so how does one, how do you figure out where your lane is? Like, what would be your, your advice? Like, how do you figure that out? I think you go where you have some comfort or knowledge or understanding or background. Mm. You know, it might be an industry or in my case, it was just moving towards, you know, words and brandables because I'm, I feel familiar with them and I, I like them. And so I think you should go where you feel comfortable, where you have some knowledge. Uh, oftentimes it's an industry or an educational background. And then uh, on top of that, then you have to decide, well, do I want to be in alternative extensions or do I want to get short liquid domain names or do I want to save up a lot of money and get dictionary words or do I want to get geocentric domain names like, you know, albuquerquelawyers.com or something? And do I want to do outbound on those names, on those geo names? Or do I want to, do I want to try to sell them on Afternick or something? So there are a lot of options. Um, I think, yeah, just go where you're drawn and find one area and specialize in it. Really get it wired, really know it, like the back of your hand. And when you're profitable in that tiny niche area that you've really mastered, then you can start to expand a little bit slowly. Now, that's the key word, slowly. Because yeah. <laughs> uh, I think a lot of this stuff, it, it just takes time to really figure out at what you're good at and what you're not good at. Um, and, and so, you know, you just have to, it, it, I look at it, I go, it's a marathon and not a sprint. Yes. A I think marathon for, and not a sprint. For a new person that's coming in, I would say you would need at least to have a two-year time horizon to start. Mm. At least. I think if you're coming in expecting to make money in six months or even in 12 months, it's, um, it's, it's certainly possible. It's been done, but it's highly unlikely. It's a very competitive industry. There are thousands of people all over the world from all different cultures and uh, orientations and people some, in some cases with a lot of time on their hands because they're unemployed or they live in a, in a culture or a community or a country where there's very little work. And they have just so much motivation and so much time. And in, in many cases, they are young and they're smart and they're creative and they're just very motivated. And you have to compete against all those thousands of people all over the world who are looking at the, the drop lists and the auctions and who are hand, looking for names to hand reg and who are willing to do outbound like this gentleman, Yogi, that you had on your show a while back. Yeah. You know, and I mean, these people, you know, and, and so that's your competition. <laughs> and then, of course, the other competition is yourself, you know, your own disappointments and discouragements and negative thoughts and all that sort of stuff. So it's not an easy industry, but there is money to be made if you really like it and you, you know, want to work hard and you're creative and willing to learn from your mistakes. 
and you have a long time horizon of at least two years, I think, you know, go ahead and go for it. And, you know, welcome to the community. Certainly. So then what would like, what's your go-to tool? Uh, I have, yeah, a lot of them, but I would say for someone that's starting out and for me, my main number one, I would say go-to tool is um, the brandable marketplaces and what domains they're selling. I always try to find out, uh, you know, if you're a member, if you're a seller at Brand Bucket, then you have access to their private Slack channel. And there the sellers are reporting their brandable, their Brand Bucket domain sales. And the same for Squad Help. Squad Help has a place on their seller dashboard where you can go and see what domains have sold that week or that month or whatever. And I think that's the most valuable information. Because, you know, if you own a, a, a clothing shop and you want to know, okay, what clothes should I buy to put in my shop? You need to find out what's selling, what's the trends, what's, what are people going to want this fall to wear? You don't want to be buying bathing suits when the weather's getting cold, you know, <laughs> <laughs> or, or buying, you know, green or, or blue or colors that aren't, you know, in fashion or in style that people aren't going to want to buy. So you need to find out where is the demand, what kind of domain names are in demand, and what's selling. And so that's my really go-to tool, number one tool, since the very beginning through today, is uh, any platform that's reporting on their sales. I want to see what the trends are. Awesome. Now, here's a question for you, one that that'll probably certainly make you think a little bit. If you had... Uh, only one person out of the domain industry to sit down and have a conversation with. Who would this person be? Uh, I would say Drew Rosner. <laughs> oh, shucks. I thought you were going to say me. Oh, yeah. No, you'd be second, <laughs> Alvin. <laughs> He's like, uh, by the You're way, like I'm talking to you right second. now. <laughs> yeah, I think Drew Rosner is a really fascinating guy. I think he's just a lot of fun. He's He's kind of offbeat. He has, you know, some wild ideas, but he's also very successful. He thinks outside the box. He's also really smart. He's very, he's a good observer, uh, you know, of trends and, and culture. And uh, he can be a little controversial at times too. And, uh, but I just think, <laughs> I just think he'd be a great guy to sit down and, you know, have a beer with or have dinner with or, or to, uh, you know, get advice from or mentorship from. So, uh, and I, I've had some interactions with Drew, you know, online through email and different things and some uh, of these domain socials and so on like that, but I've never actually met him in person. So, uh, Drew, if you're listening, <laughs> see you at the na next NamesCon. <laughs> oh, yeah, see and, you at the uh, next NamesCon. Or, hey, it, we've all grown accustomed to Zooming. So, <laughs> it's like, yeah. hey, get on the next call, get on the next Zoom, make it happen. But I think uh, just getting back to this thing, you know, a lot of times there are these contests, you know, uh, for, for uh, charities and things. They'll say, you know, donate $10,000 or $20,000 or $100,000 to have lunch with Warren Buffett or whatever. And I think there's a, it's just a, a novelty. I don't think in, in one lunchtime you can get any really valuable right. information, right. Uh, you know, long term from, from a person like that. But so I would recommend to... Uh, new domainers or domainers that are still, you know, learning and sort of getting their sea legs, uh, that if you can try to find someone at your level or just above your level of experience and success and network with them and sort of have a shared mentorship, you know, if you can. And um, because, 
you know, he'll experiment with one thing and she'll experiment with another thing. And then you can share what you've learned. You can share your mistakes and your learnings and your, share your skills, share your research, and you will pr uh, progress a lot, a lot faster. Last but not least, I mean, is there anything else that you'd like to share with listeners in terms of any upcoming news coming up, anything uh, in terms of, you know, how, how should they contact you? You know, what do you, uh, what do you have? Okay, people can contact me uh, either on Twitter or on NamePros under my real-life name, Keith DeBoer. And um, as far as what's coming up, uh, my podcast comes out every Friday thereabouts, Friday or Saturday, and I've got some great interviews coming up. Uh, I recently interviewed Michael Seiger, and that's in the vault, and that should be coming out soon. Uh, I hope to uh, good one. interview Margo Bushnack, who you had on your show. Yeah. Uh, sometime in the near future. And I've got some other uh, special guests coming up as well, but I can't, uh, they're not confirmed yet. So I don't want to mention their names, <laughs> <laughs> but due no. to it, you can follow my podcast at brandableinsider.com. Brandableinsider.com. Love the name Keith. Love yeah. it. And with that, well, we're out of time. So Keith, thank you so much for being generous with your time today and sharing your domain investing journey and experience. All right. Thanks, Alan. Thanks for having me on. Certainly. And thank you, listeners, for tuning in to Kickstart Commerce, where we share search marketing and domain name strategies to help grow your business. Please subscribe to this podcast via iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, or Podbean. Last but not least, please visit kickstartcommerce.com to subscribe to the newsletter sharing tips and tricks about the disciplines of digital strategy. Thanks. And that's all for now.